First of all, I'd like you to join with me in prayer. Father, that song reminds us that we come to you as a holy God. And we come to you as people who are not holy. And we thank you that when you granted us repentance and faith and transformed our lives by the new birth, you justified us, removing all condemnation. But yet we face the reality that although that is our standing with you this morning, our state is not like that. We are still sinners saved by grace in need of sanctification, in need of cleansing. We are people yet in process that come to you today and long to look in your word as a mirror, enable it to see, to show us exactly who we are and where we need to be more like you. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd be pleased to manifest that grace to us today. We pray for those who are shut in this morning for people like Doug Amy and Margaret Modine and Niels and Isabel and there may be others Lord that who are uh, Mary and Linda others who are shut in by reason of illness and we pray Lord that you would do a supernatural work of grace Even as Paul, when he stood alone before the powers of Rome, he knew that with him was Jesus Christ. And I would pray the same for these folks, that they would know that Jesus Christ is with them. We pray for our online viewers, Lord, that they would be able to see participate clearly in worship, that you would remove distractions from them, and that by the miracle of the Holy Spirit, you would draw them in to your word and to us. As Thomas has read, we are risen with Christ, and therefore it behooves us to seek those things which are above. We cannot do that on our own, Father, apart from your grace enabling us. We stand as absolutely impotent in bringing about any spiritual good in our lives. But we come to you in full dependence that you would work in us what is pleasing to you. We pray for other churches who are meeting of like mind and like faith. We ask, Lord God, that you would richly bless them and that your name will be proclaimed throughout this region and around the world. We pray for those who are working today because uh, they are in category of health providers, and doctors and nurses, first, first responders, police officers and military, both here and around the world. We pray also for our government officials at all levels, that righteousness would abound in our nation, 
legislation would take, take, take place for our peace and our good, and that your name would be exalted within the halls of government. And now, Father, as we look into your word, remind us of its amazing existence that we have before us the very word of God in language that we understand that you have spoken and you've spoken clearly with a unified voice through these 66 books there is no confusion with you all the confusion, all the misunderstanding exists with us, Father. Therefore, we need your help. And this morning, particularly, I pray that as we read and hear your word preached, that which is true will also prove to be authoritative. For you have spoken. Christ's name we pray. Amen. You will want to eventually be in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. You might want to put your finger there. I'm not going to take you there immediately, though. We are looking at the prayer of our Lord, wherein he prayed for himself wherein he prayed for the 11 apostles. And now we will be in verse 20, follow, and tw verse 20 and following, hearing his prayer for us, those that would believe in the message that the apostles preached, the gospel. But before we do that and to kind of get your minds where I'd like it them to be, I'd like you to go all the way back in the Old Testament to the book of Judges. The book of Judges. Chapter 20. be looking at verse 11, but before that, let me just uh, explain to you what has happened. I am not going to comment on the context. It is, it's, it's not the context so much that I'm concerned about. What you should know is that Israel is living at a time when leadership is lacking. People are doing whatever they want according to their own eyes. And the trajectory of judges is kind of up and down. Get right with God through his appointment of a judge. Things go well for a while, and then they fall away. The current situation is the tribe of Benjamin, without going into detail, has actually committed one of the most heinous crimes, unspeakable crimes that you could imagine. You would hardly believe you're reading holy literature. And the other 11 tribes then responded to the tribe of Benjamin in discipline, in judgment. They became the arm of God to deal with this one member of their body. And in verse 11, we get a picture of what that looked like. I hope you have your Bible open. Judges 20, verse 11. So all the men of Israel, that's the 11 tribes, gathered against the city, united as one man. And the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, 
what evil is this that has been taken place among you? Now therefore, give up the men, the worthless fellows in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and purge evil from Israel. But the Benjaminites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. Then the, peop then the people of Benjamin came. Then, then the people of Benjamin came out, came together out of the cities of Gibeah to go out to do battle against the people of Israel. In verse 11, this action of the 11 is described as the 11 coming together as one man. If you look further up the text, you'll see the exact same comment by the Holy Spirit. And all the people arose as one man. That's called oneness. When multitudes of people come together, albeit they're different, express something that to the appearance appears as if one person is acting, that is called oneness. And that is what Jesus prayed for in John 17. So I hope you have this image and illustration in your mind. And now go with me to John 17. And we're going to read verses 20 to 23. Picture the 11 tribes of Israel gathered together as one person. Now we read in John 17, verse 20. And I'm only reading 20 to 23. I do not ask for these only, meaning the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. That's Jim McClellan and you, if you're a Christian that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Let me be honest, there's this is a difficult message to preach on a number of levels. We're going to get into a concept that is really hard to wrap your head around. All these people are one, just as the Father and the Son are one, and the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father, and they are in the Father and Son, and the Father and Son are in them. Do you, do you understand that at the end of the day, if some of you are crying out, I don't, I don't see how that works, you're, you're probably in the camp of all the rest of us. But the denial of its truth and reality, even though it might be difficult to understand, is true. These are God's words. They're true. There's a relationship spoken of here that uh, the natural mind just cannot possibly conceive of it with absolute clarity. But to deny it 
would be a great failure. The second reason this is hard to preach is because there's not a single Christian, including myself, either in the auditorium or watching online, that will not be deeply convicted of this if your heart is right this morning. So be prepared. As good as you and I think we are, we have failed horribly to this expectation. So please don't look around. Pray as you hear this preached that you look within. I'm really sorry if you were really kind of down today and wanted an upbeat, victorious sermon. You know that this is not an accident. You know that your pastor for years has followed a, what they say in Latin, a lectio continuum. In other words, I just preach the next part of the passage. This has absolutely nothing to do with Grace Life Edmonton. This has absolutely nothing to do with the government of Canada. This has nothing to do with rebel news. This has to do with Jim McClellan and you by name. And this is just the next passage. So get all that other stuff out of your heads. It's going to be hard. The third reason why this is hard is there are several tributaries that run off of this that I don't have time to teach and preach this morning. Unless, as one man, you would agree to stay here for the rest of the day. You see, there's going to be an assumption that's going to come clearly through here. I'm not hiding anything from you. This is, I'm not trying to be deceptive. There's going to be an assumption come through here that gives great, important, great importance to the local church, wherein some people deny the importance of the local church just giving the importance to the universal church. That's a whole sermon in itself. You see that. There's a tributary that runs off this, and this will come clearly, that one needs to really understand what life in the Spirit is and what it means to walk by the Spirit, be filled by the Spirit, and live by the Spirit. I'm not going to be able to go down that road very long. There's actually a tributary here that undeniably is speaking about church membership. And I haven't got time to pursue the reasons and the why for's. There are sermons on our website that do speak to that. I'm going to go through the text and ask the text certain questions, and I'll constantly try to repeat so you know what heading I'm on. But my first question that I ask the test, text is, and I've already hinted to what it is, is what is it that Jesus is praying for? When he prays for us, what is he praying for? And I would argue, my beloved, that he's praying that we would be one. He's praying for oneness. Now, most of the times I heard this passage taught, the teacher or the author uses the word unity. And I want you to understand there's a difference between unity and oneness. Jesus is not praying specifically for unity. He's praying for oneness. And the difference is day and night. You can have unity without having oneness. But you can never have oneness without having unity. 
You can count unity. 5,000 soldiers lined up against Benjamin. You can't count oneness because you only have one. You only have one. So let me, let me convey this understanding to us all that when you're thinking with me this morning as we're engaging in the word of truth, we're not talking about unity. We're not talking about some sort of feeling of emotion and love and, 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 and issues that all around unity. By the way, the Holy Spirit could have used a word in Greek for unity. He didn't. He used the word for one. So we're talking about oneness. So I'll know, I know you've heard all kinds and read and maybe taught yourself that Jesus is praying for the unity in the church. He is not. He is praying for oneness. And that doesn't make it any easier. That makes it a million times harder. What is this oneness that he's praying for? Well, in verse 21, we see that it's similar to or analogous to the relationship of the Father and the Son. He's praying that the church would be one even as the Father and Son are one. So we're penetrating this word oneness. So consider with me for a minute just some things we know about the oneness of the Father and the Son. Think with me back to the very first verse we read when we started this series in John. In the beginning was the Word. You know that verse, don't you? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, speaking of Jesus, the Son, was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is with God, and Jesus is God. That starts to draw our minds closer to what we're talking about in oneness. Oneness is being with someone but the same as someone, both at the same time. Do, do you understand how hard this concept is? Are you, are you starting to swim a bit in your mind, saying, oh, wow. If our oneness is to be like the oneness of Jesus and the Father, it means that the, at a certain level there are distinguishing different characteristics. In other words, the Son is with the Father, but oops, the Son is the Father at the same time. You see, let me put it frankly. You can be in the church, but not with the church. Do you see the difference? You can be in the church and not with the church. The Word was with God and the Word was in God. That's oneness. You can be in the church and not with the church. And that's not oneness. Secondly, when you and I look at the uniqueness of the father-son relationship in John 14 verse 9 Philip came to Jesus and we've already studied this this is review Philip came to Jesus and said show us the father and Jesus said Philip have I been so long with you <laughs> he who has seen me has seen the father you see that's oneness it's not unity it's oneness it's it's I'm looking at Jesus, but what I'm seeing is the Father. Now, I know you can't unravel that in your mind. You can't. I just know it to be true. 
there was such a oneness between the Father and Son that one wasn't just uh, acting like the other. The other was so wrapped up that when you saw one, you saw the other. Thirdly, when we look at the relationship of Jesus and the Father, and again in John 14, let me read the words to you. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. In other words, Jesus is saying that his life is so one with the Father that when the Father speaks, he speaks. When the Father works, he works. You're just seeing one picture. There's such an infusion, mysterial, mystical, mysterious, such an infusion of the two persons of the Godhead that when one speaks, it's the other speaking. Be an I'll let your mind race ahead. Wouldn't that not be an amazing thing in a local church? That when one speaks, they're speaking as if all are speaking? Are, are you getting the sense of absolute magnitude of this prayer? And yet, when we see the Son praying to the Father, He is actually praying to the Father. And when the Son comes to this earth, He actually is being sent by the Father. There is a distinction. There is a functional difference. When the son explains to the, his audience in John 6 why he does what he does, he says, I'm doing the will of my father. And yet as he's doing the will of his father, it's as if his father's doing it. Do you see the impossibility that we're going to be faced with soon of saying, how could a church possibly live on that level. So my third question is, we've looked at what oneness is generally. We've looked at the oneness that exists between the Father and the Son. And the reason we looked at the oneness of the Father-Son is because Jesus is praying that that oneness would be exhibited in the local church. So what is Christian oneness? Again, notice I'm not talking about Christian unity. I'm talking about Christian oneness. Like we're all distinguishable this morning in several ways. There are different gifts and, gifts and callings within this body. There are different cultures within this body. There is skin tone that is of different colors in this body body and yet Jesus is praying that we would be one as the father and the son are one the father and son speak with a unified will The Father and Son speak with a singular purpose. The Father and Son act in such oneness that if one is acting, it looks like the other is acting. And when, when the body of Christ, the church of the living God, is living out this high and holy calling of oneness, they are not only doing that according to the text in oneness with one another, 
they are doing it in oneness with the triune God. Now take that up a notch a bit and figure that out. In other words, the, the high ideal that Jesus is praying is that a world would be watching this church, this body of believers, and they are so one that when one speaks, it's as if they're all speaking. When one acts, or when they all act, it's as if one is acting as one man. And not only when they are doing that, they are also acting in oneness with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, there's a sense where you, you see this absolutely magnificent church, this body of believers serving and working and worshiping and loving, and there's so, it's so much, it's just, it's like a whole church gathering, and this isn't a, this isn't a slam on four-point harmonies, I love four-part harmonies, but it's as if when one is, when, when a group is singing, there's one voice, do, do you get that? Like, if someone came in, they'd say, well, there's just one person singing really loud. It's so one. And what Jesus says is, when that's happening, it's not just oneness with one another, it's oneness with the triune God. The three persons of the Trinity are joining into this oneness. It's, it's, it's like, in Judges, a mighty army moving towards an enemy, and there are one man. Tens of thousands of men with swords on, but they look like one. It looks like something I haven't seen for a long time. I love sports, and most every sport is the perfection of synchronized swimming. When you look at, say, four ladies in the pool, and they're, they're moving, you know, in, 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 in one with each other that... If you pull back, it looks like just one person is swimming. One person is moving. A few years ago, I was working in my yard and, or outside, and I looked at my patio concrete, and th there was the strangest-looking insect moving across my concrete. Like, I mean, strange. It's, this looked really, really strange. So... I moved from one hour to get a closer look at this, and what I saw was a mass of ants moving a little breadcrumb. Have you seen that? But when I looked back, that looked like one insect. Could the church ever be that way? Is it possible? It seems impossible to me, which is my fourth point. <laughs> when I look at this prayer of Jesus, I, this, is, this is some fiction. This is something mystical. This is something totally off the grid. How is it even possible, and let's be very personal, how is it possible that the members of Elk Point Baptist Church would live and serve and worship and work together in such a way the world thought it was one person. How's that possible? Well, I look, invite you to look at verse 22. The glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Now let's pretend we don't understand that right now. What you can't pretend is that Jesus didn't just give the answer. He's right in English grammar. I pray for this, that, that's the purpose statement, that they may be one. I will contend to you, brothers and sisters, that that's how it's supposed to happen. The glory that you have given me, Jesus is praying, 
Father, the glory you've given to me, I have given to them. And it's that glory that's going to achieve my prayer of oneness. Now, anytime we talk about glory, we're talking about the revelation or the manifestation or the impartation of the divine nature. Glory, in this case, is being used in the sense that as I am one in nature with you, Father, I have your glory. I, I have, I've been brought in to share your glory. This same glory I have given to the disciples and those who will believe. I think John MacArthur helps us most clearly. I've, I got the most help from him when he writes this. This refers to the believer's participation in all the attributes and essence of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In the mind of Jesus Christ, you and I are asking, how could we possibly live at a level that you're praying for? And Jesus says, you have been given the very nature of God through the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells you. And that's the key. That's one of those tributaries where I could just run now in another direction. I haven't got time. There's more here to talk about. In fact, it's confirmed in the very next verse, if you think I'm making this up. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Okay, I in them and you in me. It's the spirit of the living Christ in believers that's going to achieve this oneness. So I conclude this morning, my brothers and sisters, I conclude this morning this impossible dream, this inconceivable notion of a church existing, loving, living, serving, worshiping together as one is possible through the gift of the Holy Spirit living within and operating within our hearts. Therefore, Paul called him the unity of the Spirit. We'll get to that in a minute. The late Dr. Grant Osborne wrote this. He said, this mutual indwelling with the Godhead can overcome the many differences, the temperaments, the theological outlooks, the worship styles, the personality conflicts, and so on that keep us divided. Only in Christ and the Spirit can we triumph over our pettiness. very thing that keeps us from being one is pettiness. And the only one that can triumph over that is the Holy Spirit actively working in our lives to bring about, to bring about oneness. You see, the manifestation of God and the Holy Spirit is given to Christians so that we can live and move in such a way that as individuals, we live and we love and we move as one person. When people look at us, they say, one. And what's the purpose of that oneness? In verse 23, the purpose of that oneness is to know that you sent me, Jesus says, and loved them even as you loved me. When the watching world sees the body of Christ living, loving, serving, worshiping in oneness, the world is going to go, oh, Jesus must have come from the Father. He must be the Christ. And they're going to say, whoa, how much he must love that group of people. God must really love that group of people. Do you, do you see that? Back in thir chapter 13, Jesus said something different. Our oneness commutes, 
communicates the idea that we are Christians. They will know we are Christians by our love. But here's a different purpose. The oneness that Jesus is praying for is going to cause men and women, when they look at the body of Christ, to go, Jesus must be the Christ. He must be. You and I know that to be true already because we've already said this is impossible for us to do. There's no way on God's green earth any of us could accomplish this on our own. And the world's going to look at the church and say, you must be the Christ. And he must sure love that group of people. So Christians, I pulled apart in time of thought and reflection and I asked the Lord to question how can we cooperate with the Holy Spirit? How can we cooperate with God's plan to bring us to oneness? If you take notes, I'm going to give you five things to think about. If this amounts to any level of seriousness in your heart, I'd encourage you to consider the next five points. Number one, I would, con- I would call us all to spend time studying God's word in relation to the texts that speak of oneness. I only wrote down a few. There are actually multitudes. There are actually multitudes in the New Testament. I already spoke of John 13, 35, that they will know we are Christians by our love. Consider for a minute Acts 4. The Holy Spirit just births the church in Jerusalem. And how does the community of Jerusalem view this church? They meet together continually sharing all things in common, fellowshipping, breaking bread. And then the the Holy Spirit wrote in Acts 4, and all believers had one heart and one mind. At least when I read that, I go, man, fail. I read 1 Corinthians 1.10, where Paul says, I appeal to you all to agree that there be no divisions among you. And you know in, ver- in, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians that he, he likens the church to the body, and he says things like, there is no part of the body that can say, I don't need you. And there's no part of the body that's insignificant. Like just, if you just want to pick one passage to look at in, in, in obeying what I'm asking you to do, just take 1 Corinthians 12 and, and just reflect on it and say, where am I in this passage? But there are multitudes through the New Testament. Galatians 3, and Thomas, uh, the same quote uh, Paul uses in, in Colossians 3, Galatians 3 says there's no ethnicities in the body of Christ. There's there's, there's no different status of living. There's no social constructs in the body of Christ. When men and women from the Philippines and from Asia and from Germany and from Africa and from different nations within Canada, within the Cree nation and, and white nations, when they gather together, they're one. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no people that, there's none that have gained great prominence in 
in owning big companies and others who are working as employees in companies. There's no difference between those two in Christ. They're one. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, which Josh, Pastor Josh read two weeks ago, says we're to strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit. How are we supposed to do that? Live humble lives, gentle lives, patient lives, bearing with one another. See, people who are at one don't point out the defects of other. They just bear it, and it just absolves itself. Does that make sense to you? Some of us see a defect in another brother and sister, and we run that through to the end, forgetting that it is the glory of God is to overlook an offense. How do you maintain the unity of the Spirit? You serve together, building each other up. And the body, according to verses 11, 13, is built up as the, as the members of the body serve together. You're all familiar with Philippians 2, 2 to 3. If there's any encouragement in the Spirit, Paul wrote, then be of one mind and one spirit. Have the same attitude as Christ who gave up his glory in heaven and took on the role of a man and a servant and was obedient even unto death, the death of a cross. That's how, we're, that's how we work towards oneness. We don't consider others as less than ourselves. We consider others better than ourselves. And we don't talk about ourselves all the time. We also consider their interests. Again, we learn from Colossians, as Thomas read, we're to bear one another, forgiving one another, and it's love that binds us together. Peter has a lot to say about it. He says, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but repay blessing. Next time you demean me, call me a Edmonton Oiler-loving cheap Scotsman, I'll just bless you. I'll just bless you. So that's the first thing. If we're going to take this serious, this church, whether online or in presence this morning, will go home and say, I intend to look at what God's word has to do, say about oneness, and I'm going to decide with the aid of the Holy Spirit whether I measure up. Is that, is that, is that okay? So that's just the first point. I said there was five. The second very practical thing, and I apologize in advance, this is going to hurt some people listening online or here this morning, but the, the next thing you have to decide is to stop coming to church. And decide to start belonging to church. You can come to this church for 30 years and never belong to it. I was talking with a friend of mine about this, and he made an interesting observation. The difference between coming to church and belonging to church is like me dropping in once in a while for a meal at your house and me becoming part of your family. The difference is day and night. And this isn't just Elk Point Baptist Church. It is the standard core in evangelical churches across Canada that 50% of the numbers 
attend and 50% belong. The difference is day and night. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans 12, verse 5. Romans 12, verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now that's the key phrase. What I'm assuming is somebody is going to push back at Jim McClellan this morning and say, Ah, Jim, membership is not in the Bible. And this is my pushback. I say, yes, it is. Each member, this is the NIV, each member belongs to all the others. When I take the Greek text and I translate it transliterally, in other words, just as it's written, this is how the Greek text reads, each one of each other. The assumption of Paul here is that when you are a Christian, you belong to one another. If you are a believer in Christ, you belong to one another. That picture in Acts 2, verses 44 to 47, creates a scenario of a group of believers that actually believe that they belong to one another. If you wish to take the time, and I don't know that everyone will, but if you do, the last page of Elk Point Baptist Church's bylaws gives a biblical description of what it means to belong to one another. So secondly, I plead with you, if you're listening, stop coming to church. Start belonging to church. But 10 years ago, <laughs> I met a person in town. Now, my mind is kind of going, right? This is where Rick says, amen, Jim. But it's not that far gone. So I'm trying to enter into, you know, the kind of conversation we're trying to head for. So I said, well, do you go to church? And I said, yeah. And I said, well, what, what's the next question, right? What church do you go to? I go to Elk Point Baptist Church. As God is my judge, I don't even know who this person was. I'm not lying. What do I say next? The difference, I quote my brother again, the difference between going to church and belonging to church is the difference between dropping in at my house every once in a while for a meal and becoming part of my family. That's the difference. I won't even go down that road on the metaphor of family that's just absolutely through the New Testament. Number three. In order to strive towards this oneness in the Spirit, we need to acknowledge today that we are both responsible for others and accountable to others. We are responsible for others and accountable to others. I'm going to make a very audacious statement, and I need you to think about it. I know time is going, but I... I really need to finish this. This is why none of these tributaries are going to work out this Sunday. But I'm going to make this very, very bold statement. And, but this is what I 
believe, you test it according to Scripture. Every decision you and I make affects the body of Christ. There's not a single decision that I make as an individual in, as, as part of this family that will not affect this family. You just think of how connected we are. A few years ago, I preached at a men's retreat, an Alliance men's retreat in Alberta. I preached on Philemon, and the greatest pushback that I received was when I made the statement that I want you to notice in Philemon 1, verse 1, that Paul was writing to Philemon, correcting his behavior and appealing to him to take the slave Onesimus back and he wrote that same letter to the church. And I said to these men, imagine getting a letter from a, from a uh, vehicle dealership saying, you are late in your payments. You uh, need to uh, remit and catch up on your payments. And that letter also going to the church you attend. But it's true. You go into unmanageable debt, it'll affect the body of Christ. And every other single instance. Your lack of attention to God's word. My sin affects you. And that's scary. My sin affects you. Just think of your families, especially those of you who still have your families at home. Can any one of your children do something and it not impact the family either positively or negatively? Think, just think about it. I mean, we're not, are we talking about something so bizarre in our independent, commercialized uh, Canada that that concept isn't even uh, valid anymore? the choices that my children would make at home or my choices or Deborah's choices, they affect the family. And therefore, we have to be responsible to one another and accountable to one another. Paul made it very clear in 1 Corinthians. He says, you're not your own, you're bought with a price. I'm really trying to stay away from any political if-sos, but do you notice how rights are the big issue right across North America? Do you notice that it's all about rights? And you come to Christ, you're not your own. You belong to somebody else. And if you belong to Christ, you belong to one another. Sorry I slipped. Number four. I believe God would ask of us this morning to make such passages as Philippians 2, 1 to 5 or Colossians 3, 12 as was read to us. The kind of guard that we need to put in our lives and our, and our, and our behavior. Let me be practical. In a few minutes, I'm going to step down out here. I'm going to go out in a foyer. And I have a choice when I go in that foyer, when I meet one of you. I have a choice whether to think of myself more highly than you. I have a choice to either think of what I'm interested in instead of your interest. I have a choice whether to make demands of you and manipulate you or speak to you in a way, how can I serve you? Is there anyone here this morning who would say, I don't, that isn't a choice that we have? Go per 
Can you imagine what would happen to the oneness of a church if every single person decided that that would be the way they're going to speak and live life? Or the Colossians passage, as dearly beloved, chosen of God. What if every phone call I said, okay, Lord, I need humility. I need to be clothed in gentleness. I need to be forgiving of spirit. I need to be long-suffering. Decide today to put these texts of Scripture that many of you know so well into action. And the last thing, and the thing that I will close with, it should, be, should have been the first thing. But the last thing is we need to repent. God has already spoken to you on something. We need to repent. This passage has pointed out the fact that the the body of Christ in Elk Point Baptist Church has been marred by sin, my sin and your sin. And the only way to see ourselves through this is to repent. Would you bow your heads as I lead us in a prayer of repentance? David, we pray, Father, have mercy on us. According to your faithful love, according to your steadfast mercy, according to your great mercy, I pray that you would blot out our sin. We are so thankful this morning, Lord, that your mercy is eternal and is without end. We're so thankful, Lord, that your grace is greater than our sin. Forgive us, Father, for our careless attitudes towards your will and your purposes, but also to your people. We have had a careless attitude, Father, to the people who you loved and died for and whom we will spend eternity with. Forgive us for refusing to accept responsibility for one another and refusing to allow ourselves to be accountable to one another. We belong to you, and therefore we belong to each other. Forgive us for ignoring and maligning the scriptures by being selfishly independent and concerned about our own rights. Forgive us, Father, for this self-centered independence that has ruled our lives. Forgive us for this constant obsession that we have to please ourselves and not think about others. Forgive us, as even we've spoken to one another, that we haven't thought through how our words can be graceful and a gift of blessing to others. Instead, we just say what we want to say without thought and we throw daggers into the very soul of our brothers and sisters. Oh, please, Father, forgive us. Forgive us for our indifference, our worldly indifference. We, we're so sad about 
setting up treasures on earth. We've, we've let go of your call to establish treasures in heaven. And so we find ourselves wanting our own happiness above others and, and warring and battling for our own rights instead of seeking first the kingdom of God. Oh, forgive us. Have mercy. Have mercy upon us. Forgive us for our neglect of the wise and gracious words in your book, the Holy Bible. It's our sole authority for life and doctrine. And may it rule our hearts. As we read this morning in the scripture, may the word of Christ dwell richly in our hearts. Lord, we have neglected it as a guide. And we've neglected it as our power. Grant by your Holy Spirit, oh, how we know it depends on your Spirit. Grant by your Holy Spirit a new will this morning, a fresh new spirit in your church. Give life to those of us who desperately need it. Grant us the desire and the grace to pursue what your word says is good. Grant us a delight and affection for your law that we would be ready and prepared to obey what we read. Forgive us for how we rationalize things. Grant us joy, Father. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Merciful God, I pray that you would forgive us. And we thank you that those who confess their sin, you will be faithful and you will be just to forgive sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. those who would embrace such a prayer, will you join me in saying amen? Amen. Please stand as I have the privilege of offering God's blessing on you as you depart. From Romans 15, verses 5 to 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such a harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. This is amazing. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.